Hello and welcome to On The Ball, the Norwich City podcast that is the first name on everyone's team sheet. This is edition number 80. I'm Steve Sanders, aka at NCFC Numbers on Twitter. Not your usual host, but you'll have to trust me that Michael Bailey isn't too far away. So, it was a chastening afternoon at Carrow Road on Saturday against Watford that saw a lot more questions raised than answers provided. What needs to be fixed first? The defence, the midfield or the attack? Does 4-3-3 need to get in the sea? Do Norwich City only practice defending on the right-hand side of the pitch in training? Is Daniel Farker feeling the pressure? Will we ever beat Watford again? Will we ever get another point again? And will it be October or November before we call Rosenborg to see if they'll let us have Teddy back as an emergency <laughs> stopgap? So to help answer some of that, and hopefully so much more, I'm joined by a gloriously knowledgeable and erudite panel. First up, you might know him, you might, is a journalist, a broadcaster, and the Norwich City correspondent for The Athletic, and the, the actual host of this very podcast, <laughs> Michael, Michael Bailey. Uh, Michael, um, can you explain, how, well, first of all, how are you? And and just explain to the listeners what's, what's going on today. Uh, Steve, I'm really good, thank you. I almost um, chipped in earlier, but I didn't figure out how to unmute me in time. So the moment went. Um, I'm good. Um, it's been a long weekend, um, but, a, but, a, but a more cathartic day. So that's nice. Yeah. Um, hello, everyone. Um, we're, we're basically trying something different, aren't we, Steve? Every so often, I think we'll, we'll get you to host it. And then I'm going to sit here and, and talk with you, I guess, yeah. and with our guests. And we'll, we'll see how it goes. Why not? Yeah. You've got to mix things up, haven't you? You can't stick to the same thing every time and expect the results to change. Uh, well, well, quite. No. <laughs> Some, someone, someone needs to tell. Uh, someone needs to tell our manager that. No, I feel a little <gasps> bit like. Um, sorry, I've I'm only. I'm only digging. I'm only digging. Carry on. It's just uh, a bit of fun. Yeah, I, I, I sort of feel like when, when I used to have learned, you know, when I used to learn how to drive, and I've got my dad sitting in the, in the car just sitting next <laughs> oh, to no. me. Yeah, I've just realised how much pressure I put on you on the intro. Thank you for an amazing intro. That was a lot of pressure. Well, you're welcome. I thought I'd better better write something, otherwise I'm uh, I'm never going to be allowed to do this again. So we'll <laughs> see how it goes, but. One thing that Michael is still doing, fortunately, is uh, scheduling our guests. And uh, he's done a blinding job this week um, because we're going to need some positivity on this pod, I feel. And when you need positivity, <laughs> I'm setting him up for a full here. New book, Norwich City's most positive fan. It's Talk Norwich City presenter and GIF aficionado as of this season, Chris Reeve. Chris, how are you doing, mate? Oh, what an intro. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate it. So happy to be on. And um, a lot of people will know that I've uh, I've just done our, our Talk Norwich City live podcast. So I've actually vented a lot of the anger, a lot of the anguish, a lot of the frustration. I've piled it all on Jack. He's helped me get over it. And so you are probably going to get a positive me on this pod, which uh, which is good news for you guys. Excellent. I hope you've saved a little bit of the of the vitriol. We don't have a totally sanitised version, but I'm sure that we can more than make up for it if uh, if you haven't. Um, and last but but absolutely not least, uh, making her on the ball debut, it's Canaries Trust board member and Norwich City season ticket holder, Sarah Greaves. Welcome, Sarah. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Steve. Thank you. I, I was super looking forward to coming on tonight because I thought we'd have a really positive, jolly panel, lovely conversation about how we were up to, I don't know, 11th or something. And it was all going really well and it would be, <laughs> be a lovely evening. Um, yeah, we're, we're not sort of there. So lots to, to go through from the weekend. Um, but yeah, I'm glad Chris is here to keep me positive. 
<laughs> I don't even remember what eleventh feels like. I could probably has anyone tell you when we were last at eleventh in the Premier League. But uh, has anyone looked at the table? I I, I def, definitely have not looked at the table. Yeah, I, I, I mean we don't need to look at the table, right? We don't need to know. <laughs> what difference that game made to where we are right i think i'll save it until august 2022 well no actually that's probably being overly negative but let's let's wait until we're uh, let's wait until we're out of the drop zone at the very least um right uh that's everyone introduced shall we uh shall we get on with it and the, the other new thing about uh, about, <laughs> about this episode is michael's done some stings so yes. here's the sting for <laughs> headline act take it away Oh, this is going to make me sound so much better. I love it. Um, so, yeah, uh, we've we've kind of alluded to it already. I think you probably already know what happened on Saturday. Norwich were given what four by Watford, who won three one at Carrow Road. Emmanuel Dennis opened the scoring with Timmy Puki equalising ten minutes before half time, but Norwich City got the Saar treatment in the second half with Ismail Saar having two goals to punish the Canaries for what I think we can agree was a pretty limp performance. Mm-hmm. Um, I would urge you all, if once you've finished listening to this podcast, to um, watch Michael's post-match verdict for uh, on YouTube. If you haven't already done so, that is one irate Norwich City fan. There, we saw some raw passion and evidence. So please go back and watch that. Um, Michael, we'll, we'll focus on the individual goals in a bit. Um, but have you had a chance to to calm down and and to rationalise on the overall performance from Saturday and um, and kind of where that leaves us yet? What's what's your what's your take? Um. Well, not really. I. It was probably today, and we are going to talk about Daniel Farker's press conferences, I know, in a bit. But it was actually after the press conference today that I probably felt a little better. There was something about listening to Daniel Farker this afternoon that helped. I, I would imagine in the same way that his players listening to him <laughs> and having a team meeting about it on Sunday probably helped a bit. Um but before that, not really. No, I, 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 the, I think um, there's been a lot of conversation about how much um, context there is in you know the fact that Norwich have lost 15 games in the Premier League on the trot, um, and I probably am going to have to say the same answer I've said for about 20 times, both in written and, and verbally since the weekend. You know that I don't think you can just ignore it because it's the same manager and half the team that that provides a level of context. There's you're as much you've got as much comparison to Norwich at home to. Villa and Sheffield United and Wolves in the Premier League, that's about as useful and as relevant as Norwich playing Rotherham at home in the Championship, to be honest, because of the level. So I'm not saying you have to put everything into that, but I think to ignore it would be disingenuous. So I think the Watford game in itself, it was only one game this season where maybe Norwich should have won compared to the other four where you would expect them to lose. But by the same token, a lot of what I saw in the Watford game was similar to the failings of two years ago. Um, and that is kind of the issue for me that was that was really there. Um, but it is still early in the season. We do still have positives in that I thought Temu Puki found his feet a little bit after his goal. I thought Matthias Norman showed a lot of real promise, so there's a really good player there. And Ozan Kabak in a few weeks probably doesn't lose that header right at the start, which obviously sets the game off on the wrong foot. So um there's there is enough to work with um i'm just probably now at the time where i want to see daniel really deliver 
that coaching ability at Premier League level because um, it hasn't happened a lot beyond the sort of first five or six games of the first season. Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. And I think one one thing that is worth noting is the fact that seven of the 10 outfield players on Saturday were new. Um, so maybe maybe there is a little bit of gelling time to be done there. Um, Chris, so you've, you've just had an hour or so of uh, talking about this can you can you condense that into into one short answer what what's your overall emotion right now well I'd, I'd like to respond to Michael's point I, I watched his post-match review and read his article with my morning coffee on Mondays always which is a lovely experience by the way I'd recommend it as a routine <laughs> to anyone it really helps me kind of zoom out the situation but I must admit Steve I, I feel as though a lot of and by the way, you're totally right. If you're in this camp, it's totally cool. I think Fark has possibly had a little bit too much stick. Um, I really do. I, I believe if we were in the ground for that championship title win, I feel like we would be giving Danny Farker a little bit more of a blessing than he's been given at the moment. Um, I think, I think, I think. I'm not ignoring the, the 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 results thing over two seasons in the Premier League, but I think there's a few things to factor in. Um, the main thing is that we spent absolutely bugger all in the Premier League last time and we had a championship squad that was botched for the Premier League and also the recruitment was woeful. Um, going into this season, he's been given um, all of the tools in his arsenal to do the job. And um, although I in my opinion, fairly criticised Daniel Farker's press comments. I didn't think they were they were right. Um, and I do think he's had a very poor start to the season in terms of the tactics and system that he's implemented. I do firmly believe that we should be putting a little bit more respect on Daniel Farker's name at the moment. Um, he's gone and won us a championship title with a records point total. And so therefore, I think we need to be a little bit nicer about the the way that we're critiquing Daniel Farker at the moment. Yeah, I mean, Chris is absolutely right. You know, five five games into a season is not really enough time to judge a manager on, especially one that's just won the title. But I suppose that doesn't take away from the point, Sarah, does it, that, that Saturday's performance wasn't great. Um, what was the most worrying aspect for you about, about the game on Saturday? Yeah, uh, that's the first time I'd seen them at Carroll Road for an incredibly long time. So um, I was really excited and happy to get back, and so were the kids. And... It was a, an incredible atmosphere. You know, I'm sure the first two games were brilliant atmospheres as well, but I thought the crowd really got behind the team. All stands, the cheering, you know, even when things were looking a bit ropey that first five, ten minutes when Watford were, you know, really going after Norwich, I thought the crowd were behind that team and, and really super supportive of them. Um, obviously, we went behind, but we dug into it and we got back into the game. I think the thing that disappointed me the most was going into that second half and it and it was like we just didn't come out wanting wanting to fight for it at times it was like you know and I appreciate some of the players are still catching up with pre-season they're still getting over COVID I mean you know Pookie still doesn't look fully fit to me you know there's still some issues there they're gelling they're trying to figure out the best way for them to play as a unit but but you put those players some of them into their national teams and, and they don't need the time to gel you know Gilmore and Hanley are playing stunning games for Scotland but they're not sort of delivering that and bringing that onto the pitch and on, on Saturday I just thought that second half the thing that, that disappointed me was like there wasn't someone taking the lead of that team and saying 
come on. There wasn't that person on the pitch rallying that team to chase that little bit more, to put that tackle in, to do the stuff that maybe is the more dirty side of football and get stuck in. But at this level, that's what we're going to have to do. We can't just play how we want to play and play beautiful football that everybody loves because we will get annihilated on the break and people will take advantage of it. We have to find that grittier side. And I think Norman has the potential to do it. He looked pretty impressive before he tired. But where was the rest of the team going? You know what? I'm going to fight for this. We fought for a whole season to get back up here. I'm now going to stick my foot in and I'm going to fight for this. That's kind of, yeah, where I was. I have to say that um, you're making me think that, you know, we, we we look at Saturday in terms of the reaction and the anger and the passion of it as, as quite bad. I think I get what you're saying, Chris, and I, I think there's been a muddying over these few days over, um, you know, that because everything I've done hasn't really revolved around, well, Daniel's got to go or, you know, yeah. he's clearly not up to it. But it's about questioning and it's about criticising what Saturday was, which in itself was not good enough. And that was whilst I was shouting and quite angry on Saturday on my video. The point was it wasn't good enough. You can't defend like that in the Premier League and hope to do anything other than get relegated. You can't do um, a good job of lots of other things if you just can see goals because you will just lose games. So what Daniel Farker has to be is not immune to criticism. And I think that as much as you don't want to include people generally, not you, people don't want to include the um, you know the Premier League season of two years ago. Well, well, likewise, then let's not include last season. This is completely different and in its own right. Yeah. So I think it's good that there's the criticism in a way. Having binned off ten games almost at the end of the Premier League season, maybe it's good that they got booed off. That everyone's like, you know what, you've just sort of given this in on for the last 15, 20 minutes of it, and that's not good enough because we're all here. We've done our bit, and you, you haven't done enough for us. So. There's no hope, really, of them all going away, going, oh, well, we're just going to keep losing. It's like at that point you have to react and you have to show the fight. And um, hopefully that is a good element that can come from it, that, you know, the next time they play a game at Carroll Road, everyone will be, well, that was pretty awful, wasn't it, last time we were here? Let's do something that's much more um, productive. And I don't really mean the cup game, to be honest, against Liverpool, because that's a freebie. It's it's more about the Premier League games. No, oh, no. Oh, sorry, Gonzo. I was just going to say, from where I am now, you know, I'd prefer to see a horrifically awful game that we somehow grind out or win or draw from than seeing beautiful football. You know, just dig in and somehow get a point on the board. It doesn't matter now how it happens. Find that inner resolve. You're playing for this fantastic club. You've got the whole community and crowd and county behind you. We fought back after a desperate end to the Premier League to have an incredible season last year, which none of us really were fortunate enough to see. So get out there yeah stick, and stick your foot in do it you know and the beautiful football because uh, i was i was looking at this as well because i feel like the style of play has has kind of it's not what it was either and and it's the first time under Fark that we've had five games we've had less than 50 percent possession so we yeah. don't even have the ball we can't really defend we're not getting the, ball. the fight's not really there so um it's difficult to know what we are as a team at the moment um i just want to Talk about the goals, um, the ones we conceded rather than the one we scored. Um, so first goal, three men should be closing the cross down and don't. And one player wins a header against, header against three. Uh, the second one, there seems to be a collective lack of tracking. And um, 
I do put that one at Norman's door, to be honest. I think if you watch King glide past him, Norman does not go with him. And um, I hate to, to use his name, but Ollie Skip, I do feel, would have been there. And three was um, a Kenny McLean shank um, and Ozan Kabak standing with his arm in the air. None of them great. Um, Chris, was there a was there one that was worse than the other two for you? Or did you just did you just feel a, a sinking feeling with all of them? Do we have to? Can we so just the questions will that? get more optimistic than this. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> I just say, but before, before we go into the goals, I just really need to make a point because I feel like there's been a lot of talk about the fans and I really want to stick up for the fans. Sarah, I, I love that from you regarding your point about how good the fans were on Saturday. And they backed the boys. And what I loved is when we conceded on the Bull City was loud. It was angry. It was defiant. Yeah. And I felt we did our job. But it wasn't a two-way street on Saturday. And there's no two ways about that. And I really wanted to make that clear. And also, Michael, I think the, uh, the, the the criticism point is very important. They should definitely receive criticism after their first uh, sloppy games. Anyway, moving on to the goals that we conceded. Look, all really disappointing. The thing that really, really gets to me is the fact that we are conceding so many from the, the from those wing-back positions. And it's just basic, isn't it? It just... I always hold my look. Maybe this is a defeatist attitude. Maybe this is little Norwich syndrome, as people are calling it. You know what? When you're in the Premier League and someone picks it up from the outside the box and they plant it in top bins, you go, you know, fair play. That's a hell of a strike. But at the moment, it seems like all of the goals, in actual fact, I can't remember a single goal this season. Correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe the Salah goal for Liverpool, where I've gone. You know what? That's a class Premier League goal. Can't do anything about that. We've not stopped crosses and we've not been there positionally. I think a big part of that is having to chop and change players potentially. But yeah, Steve, I think it's just a recurring theme, really. It's down that right or, or left-hand side and, and, and cutting in. Um, and there's only one way to describe the, that defending and it's been absolutely pathetic. There's no other way of describing it. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting you say that, actually, because I was, I was watching this morning uh, the goal of the month on Match of the Day 2. I watched that back and I, I was like, oh, we're not we're normally in this when we're in the Premier League. We're normally conceding. And then I thought, oh, we're not in it this time because all the goals we've conceded have been really bad. Um, and Michael Chris alludes... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there we go. That's our first one. That's our first, at least we're not conceding on goal of the month. Um, I, that won't last. Um, <laughs> Michael, um, Chris raises the point about the flanks. Um, I, uh, it's quite difficult to tell exactly where the goals kind of come from, which side of the pitch. But I make it ten from our left-hand side. And I had a little look back and in context, there's only four times in the last thirty seasons where, by this point, we've conceded ten or more in total and we've conceded 10 purely from the left flank what's what's happening there what's what's the answer we've played different players so how how do we stop that being an issue um well i think i i'd have to really think about this but i'm i would i would probably have to, would i suggest that norwich have played teams where they've had really strong right sides i mean certainly watford are much stronger with where Ismail Assar is playing than the other yeah. flank. Um, Salah on the le on the right for Liverpool, you could argue, um, potentially, because um, Firmino wasn't playing, was he? And, and then it was Mane. But I think um, this is a really, this is certainly a really tricky one on the left because Brandon Williams is a is a is a really dogged 
fighting kind of a player but a lot of the blocks that we all like come from him sort of having to salvage situations and positionally he does look a bit um erratic uh, to be honest at the moment and i think daniel's got to get a real grip of that um i mean i was going to mention this later but i might as well mention it now i mean we i keep hearing how young the back four is and, and how young the players are and I, that does, doesn't wash this time, um, mainly because, you know, he's opting not to play Dimitris Yanulis and Ben Gibson for either Kabak, who, um, you know, has a lot of experience, to be honest, and Andrew Omabamadeli against Arsenal, and then Bradley uh, Brandon Williams. So, you know, that's his decision. It's not... So if you're going to go with that... And I asked him this, actually, at Colney today. It's like, well, can you actually stay up in the Premier League, which is the elite level of English football, but also one of the best leagues in the world, whilst also blooding young players who are going to make mistakes. Can you physically, is all of that possible? And he was like, yeah, it's really hard. <laughs> and I'm like, well, yeah. Um, so we don't know yet. I guess we're going to find out. But um, so Brandon positionally needs to get a real grip of it or he needs to play Demetrius, to be honest. Um, and I think... I don't know. The, the problem is, Dimi never really got the chance to prove that he'd learned from the Manchester City game. And he got he got a run out to kind of keep him ticking over against a Bournemouth side that were 5-0 down, which was great to show that, you know, you weren't completely dead to Daniel Farker. But what he needs is a testing. He needs to, you know, a point that you, you've got to be tucked in and you can't let someone just play the ball inside of you for Jesus who's running behind. So he hasn't had that chance. And, and that probably is is maybe where Dimi should have been given another go in the Premier League to have just got that out of his system and proven it because if you take players out who are damaged and then you replace them with someone else and then they get damaged you haven't got you've got a damaged player to bring back in and this is kind of why I, I felt it was maybe a game too soon for Fraser and Quebec because he, he's had a struggle so he's now going to need games to get up to speed you can't play Ben Gibson because he's still hanging from a couple of games ago when he was ditched and Andrew Obamadeli could possibly come in, but you are then playing in a 19-year-old who's played eight senior games. So, And you come back to the same question at the very start. So these are all the fires that Daniel Farker's fighting. Yeah. And he's also fighting them when he's just spoken to us today, saying defensive, defensive improvement is exactly what we need to do. We need to be harder to score against. So he's got to achieve that improvement. You know, with players who have already learned their mistakes you know, and, and, and improved, we're going to have to see. But... Um, ironing out is really difficult, really, really hard. I mean, either the well, the players he picks have got to learn their mistakes, learn from their mistakes really quickly, whoever they are. And then it's going to be a man management challenge for Daniel to make sure that those players are fully on board and, and feel able and confident enough to take it on and do it. Now, um, Sarah, uh, one, well, one of the things to kind of follow on from that is, is the answer potentially, and this was a, I know Chris went out and asked questions about how we improve things on Twitter. And a lot of the, what came back was change the system. So is the system the problem? Would you, would is, is, is 433 not working or would you persevere with it and, and hope that things come good? I mean, who knows at this stage, right? I mean, it's finding some formation and some starting 11 that can finish a game in a better position than we've seen so far this season. But um, I, th I think on Saturday, having Sergeant on works better with Puki. I think there's been a disconnect up with Puki and he's looked, uh, I mean, fed up is the wrong sort of phrase, but he's looked disconnected from the team and, uh, and he's been working incredibly hard and playing incredibly well for the team, but we've been doing nothing to allow him 
to even have an attempt on goal or to score. So I think having Sargent there did change that dynamic somewhat, but it created this weird formation and setup where no one really knew who was playing where and we didn't really have any natural wingers. I know Rashika was on, but he wasn't, he kept drifting in, everyone's drifting in, but there's no one who's a natural number 10 sort of holding that role in the centre there. I mean, they're all trying to be a bit like Wendy or fill the gap or being a bit like the number 10, but no one really knows how to do it. And I'm I'm surprised Campwell hasn't been playing more, especially after his stats in the first few games where he had the most tackles in in the whole of the Premier League. Uh, and I thought he was the natural person perhaps to step in and take that Wendy type role and provide that connection through to Pukki more naturally. So I'm surprised he hasn't been playing. Um, at the Arsenal game that, that I was at, I, I thought it was, again, a strange setup and formation with Dowell out on the wing. It was just odd. So, so you know, why are we doing a 4-3-3? Is that because we said we would to get Gilmore to sign for us and, and play for us because he naturally wants to play in that that formation? But if it's not working, we've got to be brave enough to change it and something isn't working. And, you know, the only, the only time we saw Pukki excel on Saturday was that beautiful pass from Norman over the top, which was just perfect. You know, let's not forget that that was really a stunning ball. But there was not that much more other than that. Uh, it, Yeah, I just want to see them somehow, you know, as my nine-year-old said, I just don't think they're friends yet, so they're not passing the ball to each other. <laughs> I mean, it's like school playground football right you don't pass the ball to people you don't know very well yet and that was his summary it's like they're not connecting they're not yet figuring out how they play best together as a team even though they're quite talented individuals I think we might need to get your nine-year-old on because that sounds like the kind of uh, that that yeah. might be summing up what we've talked about for the last 20 minutes in, he was like, uh, in about yeah, they're five just not friends yet <laughs> no, that, save, us a, save us a lot of time that would wouldn't it really <laughs> let's do it um sorry chris you're about to you're about to add something there yeah um sarah's honed in on pookie there and obviously a great discussion point we've not got the best out of team this season and michael used the, the the phrase there's lots of fires to put out and it's a and of course that's the challenge right now and that's why i was so bitterly disappointed with the watford defeat is that i feel like we've regret because i felt after that arsenal loss it would, I know that we had to get more shots on target, but it just felt like one or two Farker tweaks would have gone and won us that Watford game. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it's not just about getting the best out of Puki. I feel like we're definitely not getting the most out of Mila Rashica. I'm surprised to see um, the, the criticism that he's had because I don't think we're playing a system that suits him the most. I don't think we're playing balls in front of his feet for him to actually run at defenders like we signed him to do. That's what he did in the German league. I know it's a cut above that. I know he's in a relegation campaign, but we're not playing to his strengths at the moment. We're not playing Zollis, who's our eight or nine million pound player, if not more than that. Great point, Sarah. We're not playing Todd Cantwell, probably our only real proven creative outlet without Emi Buendia. So there's multiple players in the system where we're not playing to their strengths. And Steve, you know, you said, I'm not letting Norman get away with that mistake um, for the for the Watford game. Well, I must admit, I'm going to stand in his corner because although I for sure, I think he could have put, I think he could have put more effort into track back. I felt sorry for the guy because he's having to do all that work on his own and the system, he was just left for dead, mate. You know, the wingers were up, the, the wingers were up in Morrison's car park, and, and, and he was left to do all of the duties to himself. So, 
I, I feel like there are multiple players that are not having their strengths played to the moment, which is which is why I was so bitterly disappointed and worried, particularly with Watford. But again, want to compliment the Leicester game because although we lost, I felt like just one or two tweaks and we would have gone and won that game. I do believe that. So I don't know what the answer is because yeah. Michael said it. There's lots of fires to put out, lots of fires. And I think there's even more fires now, right? I, I felt after the Arsenal game, like you said, Chris, we were nearly there. That's why I felt so positive on Saturday. It was like just that final little thing with the crowd behind them and then they're going to have got that sort of winning feeling back or found the right starting eleven that will allow them all to thrive. And, it, you know, after watching some of them on TV and then Arsenal away and then at the home game, you just think, what's happened? What happened during the week? Did he change things too much on Saturday? You know, but when we saw the starting eleven, I was kind of like, "Oh, this is a good this is a good starting eleven." I was mm. the only one I was really surprised about was that Omar Bamadeli didn't start because I actually thought he had a pretty good game at, at Arsenal, and I thought he would have kept that back four steady to try and give them some time to to bed in and actually work as a solid unit. But the starting eleven we looked at, and, and everyone who was on the train was the same. It was like, "Oh, this is quite a good starting eleven, you know. Yeah, I think I think there's like the 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 teams that have been put out. Um, I think aside from probably the Arsenal game, I think the fans would have agreed. And I think that I think the team that was put out on Saturday, people wouldn't have had any complaints with. So um, you know, in terms of personnel, that doesn't seem to be the issue. Um, I will just throw a few stats at you because uh, that's that's what like why I'm here. We all know about the 15 in a row in the Premier League. They've um, yeah, sorry, none of this is going to be is going to be fun. Uh, we've conceded in 21 of the last 24 halves of football in the Premier League. That's that's not great going. Um, it's been 46 games in the Premier League since we uh, last took a point from a losing position. In the in the games where we've been behind, it's been 46 matches, and we've only scored four second half goals. In our last thirty Premier League games, um, the 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 fifth most recent second half goal that we've scored in the Premier League was scored by Dennis Sabeni. So wow. <laughs> the, the wow. game himself, he's, he's he's still making waves. Um, I, can, can we just, just before we end this section, um, just have we, are there any positives we can take? The one thing I was going to say is that we have had seasons under Farker where after five games. Things yeah. have looked pretty bad. The Millwall defeat, the 4-0 Millwall defeat, that yeah. was the fifth game of the season. Um, after five games last season, we were still in the bottom half. Um, and in the promotion season, the fifth game, I think we just drawn at Ipswich. So he does have a track record of turning it around. Can anyone else, just kind of quickly before we move on, give us something that we can hang our hats on? Well, I, as I said, I, I honestly think that the reaction is a wake-up call. And it came as much for me. I think, honestly, everyone will have come away from that. It's like, come on. So I, I think that that is a positive. As I said, I thought there were positives in Temu, Ozan and Mateus's performances. Uh, I reckon Christos Jolis will be a regular starter before the end of the year. I have to say, I think he he looks properly the part. We're just waiting for him to really get the, um, get the start. So I think that's going to happen. And there's plenty to work with. So, uh, you know, they... I, I, in a way, maybe they, that is one of the things they did learn from two years ago that it, you know, you can go from game to game in the Premier League and come back. And, and let's be quite clear four points in the next two games or win at Burnley, who are, to be honest, pretty rubbish for this level. Ultimately, they might be better than Norwich, but they might not be. Um, you know, and this will all change the narrative as a dynamic. They'll have won a Premier League game, there'll be something to build on. So it's, it's only ever a spark away, Steve. 
Okay, well, that's, that's the positivity <laughs> I was looking for. And let's hope that Sean Dyche isn't listening to this podcast. I'd say he almost certainly isn't, but pretty rubbish will be up on there changing room walls if he is. Relatively okay. speaking. <laughs> I, I did definitely say <laughs> relatively speaking. Okay, thanks for qualifying. Um, right. Well, in that case, um, if we've not ranted enough yet, uh, I will move this on to part two, um, which is our new section called Pick That One Out. Q Michael. That's my favourite one. Yeah, and suitably short as well, because that's what this section is all about. It's brevity. Um, so this is the opportunity for our panellists to spend a solid 30 seconds uninterrupted, uh, letting rip on a topic of their choice. Um, let's be, we haven't let rip enough already, have we? Um, so, <laughs> but this time it's got to be done in 30 seconds. Uh, believe me, it, it's quite it's quite a challenge to keep it down to that amount. Um, so there's probably plenty that we um, we still haven't covered. Um, does anyone want to go first? I'm happy to mix up the order. I'm seeing Sarah shaking her head. I'm looking at Chris. He looks like he might be smiling. So Chris, we're we're going with you. Oh, okay. Go on then. Right, Michael's going to do the timing. So uh, whenever you're ready, are you going to go? Go. go. Okay. Right. Okay. My my big thing this week is the divide between happy clappers and skeptics negativity and not true fans there's no gray space there's no middle ground where's the empathy where's the reasonable debate ask questions don't make it personal end of i'm buzzing you for being so short <laughs> so short so short yeah, i like one it. He, I'd like he kind of leant back in his chair as if to say that that's all you're getting from me. Wow, that was like my chair, point. I couldn't show you the chair, by the way. Look at this yellow chair that I've invested in. This that year. is an amazing right. yellow chair. Quite something, anyway. Is it comfortable? Oh, it's glorious. Yes, <laughs> excellent. It looks like a good seat to lean forward on as you're doing right now. Yes, um, exactly. I'm uh, I'm going to offer it up to Sarah next then. Um, you, you've seen how it's done. You can use the 30 seconds. Wait, up. I wish you going first now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you can, or you can do the Chris Reeve mic drop if, if you want. Um, but uh, are you, yeah, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's go. go. So my pet peeve this week is about the uh, abomination that is now Captain Canary. What has happened to our beloved fluffy mascot who looked like he would never win the mascot race ever when they went hurtling over the uh, the fences in the in the races that were happening. Now we've got this sort of psychopathic looking demented object representing us. But I, I sort of put it out there that perhaps he could play in midfield and that might be the solution that we're looking for. Wow. Oh, you're all getting, did, no one's doing the time. I had my little time of going, you see. I'm going to get angry again. If, you, if you've made your point, then it doesn't. you don't need to go on for 30 seconds. I think that's beautiful. And definitely the first time anyone in Pick the One Out has used the phrase psychopathic demented object. So a bonus point. Sure. That. <laughs> that's the kid's phrase as well for the new Captain Canary. Does this mean we're going to need to get Captain Canary on as like a right of reply, Steve? At I mean, some the way the other one was sort of sacked and rejected out of the changing room was pretty sad. You know, yeah. they made a job holding his boots. It was like, yeah. 
it's definitely a more streamlined version. Um, I don't know if you can slander a canary, to be honest, Michael. So I think I think we're probably okay on the on the right of reply. Um, I, I'd like I'd like to know if it's a new model or a new person on the inside. Do you know what I mean? Or whether whether it's the the previous the previous. I've always wanted to know who's inside. When I when I was um at uni, I used to know the guy who was inside the moose at Cambridge United, which was quite entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been, I've been inside. I've been inside the uh, the Aviva Lima, but I was sworn to secrecy. But I guess yeah. oh. could, you, could, could you describe it, Chris? Yeah, being it had, inside, it had a fan inside its head. Actually, yeah, really. So, so basically, it was, um, it was either Captain. Can this was Norfolk show days when I was at the club. Um, it was either you can be Captain Canary as an apprentice. I just did all the botchit jobs, or Aviva the Lima. No one wants to be Captain Canary because the Aviva Lima had this modern technology inside its head keeping you cool. So there you go. That's oh, bring, bring them all back. Wow. Bring all the mascots back. Wow. <laughs> I think we should get whoever's Captain Canary to come on on the ball and maybe do like a reveal on this on this podcast. Oh, that would be good. Michael, that would be you can, amazing. You can, Have I got to try and <laughs> yeah? Shall I try and sort that out? Okay. Oh, wouldn't it be good if, if we stay, if we stay up? If we stay up, I reckon I'll pitch that. <laughs> we could have someone we knew, like the that masked singer program, and it you know, <laughs> Mylene Klaus or someone like that. It's ben Mouncer. It's Ben Mouncer. <laughs> he hasn't been on in a while, so. Um, <laughs> Right, Michael, are you, are you doing one of these? Would Go on, like, then, why not? I, I have my timer ready. It doesn't have a uh, it doesn't have a klaxon at the end, but... Um, Go meh. <laughs> I'll go meh. Yeah, that works for me. Um, okay, uh, well, you, you know, you've seen how it's done. So I will hand over to you in three, two, one, go. I mean, I've seen how it, it was done, but neither of them filled the time. So I think they failed miserably. But um, I, I, I put this in my um, piece in The Athletic this morning. But um, what do the Manchester City, Arsenal and Watford games have in common? Um, it's a rhetorical question. I'll answer it. Um, Norwich conceding a goal with defenders putting their arms in the air appealing for something that isn't going to affect it because they're going to look at it on VAR anyway. Stop it. Defend. Deal with what's going on in the pitch. And then the ball, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> and then we'll Meh. see if it's onside or offside or not. Oh, my goodness. It is absolutely infuriating, <laughs> to be okay. honest. No. And I didn't even act, just just final point. Still going. I didn't actually, I know, I didn't actually get to flag up the point that I um, I created the um, the analytic of um, expected arms in air in my piece, which I, I, I thought was quite a good one. So if, if you know, if Norwich keep their XAIA below one for the rest <laughs> of the season, I think they'll keep a few clean sheets and stay up. There you go. Oh, very nice. I, 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 the graph on that. I can't even control the podcast host. That's. The, <laughs> I think. <laughs> sorry, I think you spent too much time roasting your uh, your fellow panel members. To be honest, <laughs> in your thirty seconds, I, and that's why I went over. I um, think I used their time to be honest, so it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> that, was, that was good. I think all in all, that was probably about one and a half minutes. So uh, I think we'll take that. Um, well, thank you very much, um, Michael. I was going to see if we. And sorry to put you on the spot, but um, you did say you might be checking comments um, oh yes so are that have we had any good ones before we move on to the next definitely putting me on the spot but that's okay yeah. but let's have a look i'll read them out and we'll see how we get on guy williams said uh says hello guy uh, i sat next to the chap who was in captain canary for the losing playoff final under worthy in cardiff Oof. wow Oof. tough gig that one i mean that yeah. I just, uh, that is, uh, it's very hot and sweaty, especially in May when you know the end of May when the playoff final is. Uh, yeah, and the roof was shut, wasn't it? 
a sorry occasion that one uh, but yet so good as well uh, james carter says bring back the norfolk dumpling there we go that's one for our older uh, yeah. listeners and viewers you don't know the norfolk dumpling come on sarah enlighten us oh, 1959 cup run the norfolk dumpling was everywhere alongside the uh cigar oh. canary 59 that explains it what sorry was it a walking dumpling yeah <laughs> why <laughs> why not why not there was a big walking <laughs> dumpling and there was a big walking sort of wooden canary right with a top hat and a tail uh, coat wasn't it like a waistcoat and stuff and had that big cigar that he was smoking bring back him yeah well i think we've had a few norfolk dumplings walking around the pitch this season <laughs> um, <laughs> oh lid well sorry, as yeah. a result of that steve gary oh, allen says no. steve any chance you can come up with a one positive stat oh wow Oh, wow. Um, Let's say for maybe next week. Oh, hang on. Chris has got oh, his yeah. finger Chris, up. Chris came with a stat, didn't Not, he? Yeah. Chris, and it's a Chris positive one. Let me, in, let, me in, let me in. So Go. I shared this on the TNC pod. So forgive me if you've watched that and you're now watching this as well. But, and Steve, correct me because you are the stat king. No, no, no. Now, the last time we went to Goodison Park was in 2019-20 season. We yeah. won 2-0. Scorers, the icon, Dennis Rabeni. <laughs> and Todd Campwell. Now, an interesting stat is before that game, we'd lost seven games in a row before that game. So therefore, I'm clutching at straws, but come on, <laughs> come on, people, stay with me. Maybe Goodison Park is happy hunting ground for Norwich City Football Club because last time we went there, we'd lost more games in a row and we won. And we won convincingly, might I add. It was a great performance. I, I would add there. Um, in fact, we, well, I'll tell you what, we'll talk about it later. We'll does it get your blessing? Steve, Steve, does that stat get your blessing? That completely gets my blessing. Apart from anything else, you've dug me out of a massive hole because I didn't have one. Um, you can, <laughs> would, you, would you like to take over the positive side of the account and I'll just do the, the, the horrendous stuff that just makes everyone miserable? Yeah, yeah no worries. <laughs> okay, excellent. Thank you very much, Chris. And thank you for putting me on the spot, Michael. Um, unless we have any more questions. I'll tell you what, we always one more. more. There's one more. Graham, Graham uh, Fackman says that we are three points from safety with 99 points to play for. Four other teams have not won a game yet and two have only won one. There are better Great. things Oi, to Graham. Oi, Graham. He was in our last podcast and he's copied and pasted that same comment. Good. Good. <laughs> good. It's a good comment. That's, how, yeah. fo that's how football content works these days. Brilliant. That's exactly. Graham is a master and we all salute him. Well love done, Graham. It, Great stuff. Yeah, we're we're well behind the plagiarism. Well, that's two. I'm taking that as a positive stat as well. So there you go. It's two for the price of one. Um, thank you very much for all your comments. Um, keep them coming. We've we've still got a way to go yet. Um, and that brings us on nicely to get that sting ready. Centerfold. I think that one's my favourite, actually. Bit of Ooh, synth funk. That's fine. That's synth funk. I don't know. Bit of vibey, that one, isn't it? Yeah. Um, we've kind of touched on this already, but um, Friday saw a, a fairly extraordinary pre-match press conference from uh, from Norwich City manager Daniel Farker. Uh, very passionate and and reasonably out of character, I would say. Um, one of the answers that he he gave was actually a full fifteen minutes and thirty seven seconds long. Um, that's nearly three Bohemian Rhapsodies and about a minute shorter than it took uh, Watford to score on Saturday as well. <laughs> oh, um, so the, that monologue contained responses about Gibson, Hanley, Rupp, Pookie, positivity, bleeding yellow and uh, 
the fans giving 100% support. Uh, some saw it as a passionate war cry. Some saw it as a bit more of a dig at the Carrow Road crowd. So you can take your side or you can sit in the middle, as, as Chris would uh, would prefer us to have it. Um, we should point out this is only Daniel Farker's second most recent pre-match press conference as he did one today before the Liverpool game. And Michael, obviously, you were at both of these. Um but Friday is, is was was very different, Farker, wasn't it? Now, what what did you make of it? Because um, you've been to a lot of Farker press conferences, um, and how how did that one go down? Um, so I think I think Daniel does this every so often. Every so often, probably several months, there's a press conference where you come away going, "Oh, okay, <laughs> that that was that was that that stuck with me." Um, and that can be because he really wants to get something across because he's stretched a <laughs> stretched a metaphor to breaking point. Um, he's quite he likes quite long answers anyway. But I mean, I timed it at sixteen minutes forty seconds. His answer. Oh, so, um, but I mean, I don't know because they might have put a clipped version. I've got no idea to be honest. It, it, I think we all got sort of dragged into a bit of a black hole while he was talking. But um, the, what probably interested me on 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 uh, on friday was that there was that one answer that he gave which covered it was a monologue it covered lots of different points but he kept kind of repeating the same points in almost every answer afterwards it was a real sticking theme i think if you asked him now he might feel that he didn't really get it right which for someone who's such a good communicator would is is unusual but i think he just didn't want the fans turning up expecting three points and not really putting you know, their heart and soul into the game because he wanted fans to do that so the players would do it. But he kind of did it in a way that was like, don't criticise these players. And it got a bit preachy to the fans slightly, although he did sort of counter it with accepting why they were doing it as well. And it ended up kind of putting pressure on everything. So when the supporters turned up, gave all the noise, and their team conceded two shocking goals in the second half and lost 3-1 and everyone was sort of out of it by 10 minutes to go. I think at the end they were like, well, screw this. We haven't kept your end of the bargain up, which is is a debate. But that was probably the feeling for the ones who then booed and took it on. So I think and I think in retrospect, he all he wanted was the fans really to get behind them, um, which they did. It worked, but it just put that bit of pressure on so that when it fell apart, I think um, it caused probably more grief. And it's put a bit of pressure on him. It's put focus on Daniel. Mm. And then today's presser was much more focused. It went on for the same length of time, by the way, <laughs> sort of more than an hour. And there was a really interesting section where he did talk about the booing, and that was the bit actually where the, the press conference elongated. But he was he was really balanced and, and fair with most of that. But the, the press conference in general was a lot more focused. I felt a lot more him less concerned about getting this message out and just dealing with the questions as they came along. Um, and what it brings me back to is actually the... Uh, all, all of you Daniel Farker press conference fans will remember, was his press conference before the Swansea game last season away from home where, and I wrote a piece after the game, Norwich lost, they weren't at their best. And that before that game, he spoke again, it was like a message he wanted to get out. It was a lot about pressure and it doesn't matter that we've lost two games on the trot, you know, and they obviously went on to lose a third or I think, well, no, it was two, two goalless draws, wasn't it? That they hadn't won and then they lost at Swansea, which was a big game. They got knocked off top spot, I think, at that point. So there was a bit sort of around it and you kind of felt well is Daniel sort of making a meal of the pressure is he adding to the pressure what's he actually trying to convey and they were fine in the end but I think that these moments do come along where I think um, maybe it just doesn't come out right or 
it, it becomes a bigger thing because the press conference almost becomes a, a part of the performance each week for everyone um, and a part of the narrative. So um, it was probably a rare communication misstep from Daniel Farker, in my view, in the end. Not a major one, but I think it just added to the fallout from Saturday. Um, and I I imagine we'll see, we won't see anything like that for, for a little while, but we probably will see one again because that's kind of what happened. But then I'm not standing in the stands. So it, it would be interesting, maybe, Chris, what your take is, because, you know, I think a lot of fans felt that he was criticising the fans. And I don't, I didn't really see that from what he was saying either. I thought it was more putting a point of view and defending his players rather than saying, and, and we obviously had all this at the same time as Pep Guardiola is kind of seen as criticising the Manchester City fans. So it became a bit of a narrative, maybe. Um, well, I, as a journalist, I think you've, you've, and I'm sure you'll understand, you've got the luxury of really feeling the context and, you know, looking him in the eye and understanding the tonality and the emotion behind what he's saying. Um, I just think it was just such poor timing regarding if you lose those games and players have had stinkers, you know, fans are absolutely well within their right to criticise. And actually, you know what? Football is a is a at times, sadly, a horrible place to be. You're always going to get fans that don't know how to constructively criticise. You're always going to get fans that, you know, ha have someone that they really, really dislike and, you know, nothing they can do is right. But that's part of the game. Um, what I would say is, I, and someone said this earlier, oh, Chris, you've changed your tune. Yes, I have, because I need to compliment Daniel Farker and that's OK to do that. Although... I wasn't happy with the press conference going into the game against Watford because I actually felt that it added pressure and actually highlighted Lucas Roop, Timu Pukin, Grant Hanley even more. I think he actually brought attention to it even more. I'm really happy with the way he executed the press conference this time because it shows lessons learned from last time in the Premier League. One of the things that I banged on and on and on about is the lack of responsibility and accountability, not just from Daniel Farker, the club as a whole. And so I'm so pleased to hear Daniel come out today and really step into the fan shoes and understand the misery that we went through on Saturday because he's totally right. Um, but one of the things I want to make clear is we all make mistakes. You know, I go on the TNC podcast, for example, and make cock-ups all the time. Stats, facts, figures, players. You know, there was a player that I said we should have subbed that wasn't even on the pitch of the day. So it's like, you know, I'm, I'm OK with Daniel making a mistake so long as that he does what he does in today's press conference and, and fairly... Um, you know, I, I think got himself back in the room. I just think, Michael, you've, you're in a really great place, of course, which you'll appreciate where you can get so much more tone. When fans see quotes on Twitter, it, we're like, whoa, hang on a minute. No, 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 he was crap. We're, we're totally within our rights to say he was crap. You know, if that's how we feel. Um, I know it doesn't help the team, though, of course. So we all do need to try and be positive, but as, as you so brilliantly said, Michael, it's very much a two-way street. And on Saturday, unfortunately, he built a rod for his own back. Yeah, and I guess I guess like um, sort of Keegan and Benitez before him, uh, if, if, it, if it comes before a victory, then that's great. But if it comes before a defeat, then that kind of rallying cry doesn't look so fantastic. I love the passion, though. I just must oh, yeah. say, I love the passion because we've not... I, I do feel last time in the Premier League, it felt a bit like, whatever. Whereas... <laughs> Do what I would say about that press conference is I like the fact that he came out all guns blazing. He just mm. went all guns blazing on the wrong thing. He could have just said, he could have made up one of his fantastic metaphors, analogies about the fans singing loud, right? He didn't need to home in on the players. 
Yeah, maybe maybe he needs to work. Maybe he'd run out of analogies. He needs to work on his analogies. The other, thing, the other, the other thing I must reveal, and it, won't, and it won't be fair. Sorry to take up air time. This is my last <laughs> thing. The, the last thing I will say, and it won't be fair to reveal who, but I had a message from one of the players before the game saying it's a must-win game. Mm. And so therefore, I do think there's an element of smoke and mirrors with these press conferences. And so fans should take Daniel Farker's words with a pinch of salt. What do you think, Sarah? Pinch of salt. Um, how, how did they, how did it come down to you? It, it was bizarre, isn't it? Because like we're we're not there, like Michael is, and you're just following it on Twitter and seeing all the comments come out. And you, you know, you're at work, you're checking it out on your lunch break is normally what I do. Have it running on another screen while I'm in the middle of something else, and you sort of occasionally look up and go, "What? What is that?" Normally, it's just like you know, so and so's out injured, so and so's still recovering from COVID, everything's fine, etc. Uh, and on Friday, it was just a bit like, wow, I want to go back and watch this one hmm. and see what's going on. Um, and I, I think the fans were going to be up for the game no matter what he said. You know, we all knew that it was a really important game. We knew that the team needed us. You know, the the support up until then had been fantastic. And the team had been so close to getting a point in some of those games that I think everyone was behind them. And just they didn't need that extra kind of like we need all four stand singing. We need to make this a a big event. It kind of was like, well, we're going to do that anyway. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that was a bit bizarre. Um, you know, the thing that, that concerns me is, is, is he himself more anxious and frustrated with the situation because he can't figure out the right words to use to motivate his team or his players. And that is what is coming across perhaps in press conferences <laughs> when it's like that, because he wouldn't talk to his players like that and he wouldn't, one would hope <laughs> try and motivate the changing room like that mm. but but uh you know go on such a long monologue about so many different aspects and defend rup so strongly and then not play him it was like this quite well situation i have to say on on that point i as soon as i saw how much he pray or heard how much he praised rup i thought well he's definitely not going to start okay. tomorrow because <laughs> it's usually inversely proportional with farker the more he praises you the, <laughs> before the game maybe he was trying to take the pressure off the players maybe he I knew that, that it was, was a must-win game yeah. like you said chris yeah. you had a message from one of them you know they all knew the pressure was there and was building yeah. up so he was trying to take that away by getting everyone to focus on something else and maybe focus on focus on him and this speech i don't know it did um it, it did sorry just one quick point it did, it did surprise me that the amount of defending that went on of the players because the criticism has really all been online no one's really been booed at a football mm. match none of the players have been booed uh, i think lucas rope's cheer may not be quite as loud when his team when his name's read out in the team than some of the other players but nothing really so you've then got the manager talking i mean it's obviously the players being affected by social media criticism but at that point you know, the players have to manage that because, to be honest, you're playing in the Premier League. There's going to be a lot of stuff. Just you're going to have to cope with it or switch off. So for Daniel to address that as an issue, you, you're giving credence to what's going on on social media, which, to be honest, they, as a group of players and a squad, they should be having no real interest in any of that or, or dealing with it internally. I, I, I kind of feel it's kind of, if you're going to ignore the noise, then that yeah. is... Is really it, and so to then bring it up as a point in the presser, I, I just didn't really understand. I didn't think it was necessary. I thought it made a a bigger thing of what it was. I think a theme here, a common theme here, which is important, whether it be on the pitch or off the pitch with social media, psychology. Yeah, we are so fragile right now. Mm -hmm. We're so Mm -hmm. fragile, 
And I'm sure they've been spoken to about social media. It's tough. I suffer with abuse all the time, right? But, you know, you have to, it's just part of the game. You have to, you have to find the strength to deal with it. And I do think psychology is, is actually an issue. I'm going to say it and they won't like hearing it, but I don't see any facts or reason to, to, you know, come at me with any sort of, um, contrasting opinion to that of, on, uh, on and off the pitch we seem fragile at the moment but, but we haven't in the past right Chris I think the psychology and, and the work they've done behind the scenes over the last few not the Premier League but to pick the team up and get them focused again as they were last season I think the psychology is often pretty spot on you know the way they motivate the team the 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 way they have the tunnel decorated the changing room you know everything the pictures they take away to away games to make it you know your changing room wherever you are you know I think they've been pretty good at that but but I I agree that right now that seems to be the thing that is missing why aren't they believing in themselves and playing like they play for their international teams when they step onto the pitch to represent Norwich City why aren't they finding that extra half a meter to run why aren't they stopping those crosses coming in why do they look so concerned about ball coming over from a corner or across that they're not in the right position and they're not going to try and head it out it's very strange it's when they put their heads down and and what you've described there sarah rightly are all of those marginal gains which norwich city have prided themselves on yeah. but they're gimmicks with that they're gimmicks without a, a psychologist in place and a genuine yeah. question for, for michael because i don't have a clue if we have this person do the players have us have a psychologist uh, there, there isn't one at the club, I don't believe. And I've I've done a piece with Paul McVeigh about this because I think most managers and, and most coaches assume that they can, they are, they have the knowledge and they man manage. So therefore they are a psychologist, but um, I not that I know of, I'd have to double check, but um, no. And uh, you're right. I mean, elite performance comes down to a very small percentage. Really interesting point that Daniel Farker made today, I thought, which was like last season, it was, it was fine because if they were low on confidence, they'd win 10 games and then they'd be fine. Um, they are going to have to be much mentally stronger this time because they're not going to win 10 games. I thought that was very um, accurate and and you know, self-aware of Daniel Farker. Um, but yeah, if Norwich need to find the ways to help the players you know, be strong through that, whatever it is. Can we psychologist in maybe? Yeah, well, we'll have, have yeah. <laughs> we'll have what a, a superstar she is, and it, it might it might come down to us needing to win ten games in a row. Um, well, I hope that they've. Uh, I hope he's not been listening to the last hour of this. <laughs> if he complains at his next um, press conference that uh, someone called his player to, players a load of dumplings, then we'll know who is to blame <laughs> for that one. Um, let's let's take a look ahead then to the next week um, and. Uh, this is where, well, this is where I hold on for Michael to find Sting, and this is where we cue Motti. This is almost fantasy football. This is almost fantasy football. It's not right now, but it could be. Um, so tomorrow, or well, Tuesday, um, we have Liverpool at home in the Carabao Cup. Maybe that will be a nice bit of a release from the league. We've scored three quarters of our goals this season in that very competition, and we're on telly. So, um, you know, who knows what will happen? Um, and it's a Merseyside double this week because we have Everton away on Saturday. We've already heard about the good omens. Um, so we're hoping for good things. They've not, well, this weekend they didn't have Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison or Pickford. Um, so could it be a good time to play them? Who's, who's feeling confident ahead of that one? 
<laughs> I mean, you, you, volumes. <laughs> I'll go. I mean, um, yeah, they, they are missing a lot of players, um, and I think that should be that should be acknowledged. That it, you know, it might not might be a slightly easier task than it was. I think Everton have made a really good start. Actually, Damari Gray looks on in fine form mm-hmm. and just exactly the sort of player who probably cause us issues at the moment. So, um, and I guess we we may come up against Ben Ben Godfrey again, but. Yeah, it's a, a little bit. There's been a bit of decent work there, Everton, but I think those holes are quite big holes, and Norwich need to show a reaction. The, the thing that gets me is that Everton have a pretty awful record at home against the bottom clubs. I, I don't exactly know what what that is, but certainly if they've lost games in the last few years, it's been against the team that's been bottom at the time that's arrived at Car- uh, at Goodison Park. Norwich being one of them, by the way. So. Um, and and maybe newly promoted sides. I can't remember exactly the stat. I'm, you know, I'm sure it'll circulate via Opta ahead of the game. So um, that it was a game. I I would have taken anything from the game about a week ago because I thought Everton looked in a really decent place, um, and I thought it was you know Rafa is a great manager. He knows how to affect a game because he did that against Burnley and one tactical tweak and they went from one 0 down to three one winners basically. Um, so it's a really difficult place, but you know, if you if you're missing three or four starters, any team in this division, that that's going to make the task a bit easier. It did for Brentford when they hosted Arsenal on the opening day. So let's hope that this is Norwich's turn because time to deliver now. Yeah, and go out there with the belief and heads held high. That's what you've been advocating, Sarah. So do you think that we might see that on on Saturday? Do you see any hope of of, of anything there? I think we have to see that. We have to see that they've had a week. Now, no matter what happens tomorrow night, you know, I think tomorrow it could be a could be a tough evening. So well, let's just sort of forget about that and move on. I think on on Saturday, what whatever eleven players are out there, they have to go out there and they have to show the pride and determination to play for the shirt and have a good game, regardless of what that means. Um, and and if we lose on Saturday, which is is likely, could happen. Let's be honest. I think we would all take an improved performance with some sloppy errors cut out over, um, you know, some some lovely football where they haven't, you know, they've let their heads drop as soon as we're one nil down or something, right? I want to see an improved mentality and fight on the pitch. Um, and and the one thing, the positivity here, the one thing that can now go in our favour is that everyone just gets a bit too complacent when they're up against us now. Mm-hmm. They just think we're so easy to play against, perhaps, and this is a guaranteed three points, and that often can can you know create those shock results, right? I'm sure when Man City rocked up at Carroll Road, they thought this isn't obvious three points, and it wasn't. So I think perhaps that will go in our favour over the next couple of games. Yeah, I'll certainly echo that. Um, and Chris, any any suggestions that the team might be different? Would you change anything? Um, obviously. Things could change tomorrow with the Liverpool game, but um, what, what what would you look at differently to Saturday? Well, I, th- I think although I, I agree with, with with Sarah regarding that that result, whatever it may be tomorrow against Liverpool, I think I think we we have to take it in isolation. Even if we win it, it's not the league, and people won't like that, but that's the truth. We need a league win to change the mood with the fans right now, and it's on them, and we'll be there to support them, of course, but it's on them to prove it and give it to us fans because the start's been dismal. And I do think this is another opportunity. 
like Leicester, like Arsenal, where we're coming up against a side that, you know, and, I, and by the way, Everton have got some top, top class players. So I'm not blind or stupid enough to, to think that just because they're missing four players, it's going to be a walk in the park for us or they're weak because those players will be wanting to prove a point, of course. And they're at home and they're more defensively sound under Rafa and, 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 and. But, <laughs> but I do think that, I do think I would make some changes. I do. And um, I actually don't know what they are. I'm, I'm the most useless pundit right now, Steve, honestly, because I don't, I can't, I can't work out the answer defensively. I don't know who is right. And um, I think, I think perhaps it's time for, for Hanley to take a game out. I have to admit, take him out, take him out of the, the magnifying glass, so to speak, as we've called it on, on this podcast and potentially, um, but bring in either Big Andy or, or, or Gibbo, um, who for me has been completely overlooked so far um, since the start of the season. But but I think the main thing for me, we must, must, must play um, a, a more defensive game. We've got to protect the defence. It's all very well and good working on defensive tactics and, and so on and so forth in training. But for me, we've got to have someone alongside Matthias Norman that's going to bolster that defence. Yes, it will be. It won't be pretty. It won't be pretty, but my God, would a point would a point make a massive, massive difference to us right now away at Goodison? Yep, completely agree with that. Would would snap your hand off for a point. But that's the beauty of football, right? We still go into these games, even though everything tells us we're going to lose. There's still that little bit of hope suggesting that we might win. And I'm not a defensive coach, but um, looking at our left side again, please. Don't try and drop Townsend also onto his left foot. Stick him out wide. That's that's where he'll do less damage. Anyway, I think we've talked a lot. So that will probably do for this week's On The Ball, uh, the Norwich City podcast that's debating whether to bother taking the EFL on Quest off their series link. Um, <laughs> make haven't. sure that you subscribe to On The Ball via your podcast player of choice. Uh, it's available free for everyone on your usual player. And we're now streaming the recording of the podcast live in video on Michael's social media channels. So hello to you if you're watching right now. Just search Michael Bailey, The Athletic, Norwich City on your preferred social platform and hopefully it will show up. <laughs> uh, ratings and reviews wherever prompted are hugely appreciated. And if you want to get in touch with any questions or topic promote proposals, um, sling Michael a direct message on Twitter. Not me. I don't want to see your messages. No, I'd love to, but Michael's probably better. At Michael J. Bailey. Right. A massive thank you to our guests tonight. Michael, that was fun, wasn't it? Thank you. Well, it's a treat. Yeah. Great job, Steve. Great job. Thank Never in doubt. Thank, thank you for letting me talk. Same to you. Chris, thanks very much for coming, mate. Can you play centre-back, Steve? Because you do such a good job. <laughs> you can. You can. Do I look like I've got the physique of a centre-back? <laughs> Cultured. Cultured. Yeah. Well, Great no. debate. It's nice to have a reasonable debate without bashing each other like on social media. So thank you. You won't get bashed on here. That That's a promise. And Sarah, what a fantastic debut. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's been great. You're very welcome. We will be back next week. Michael will be back in the chair next week and we'll be hopefully celebrating a point or two next week. Thank you very much. See you soon. Hello. <laughs> we are still here. We are still live. Oh, uh, we're we... back for more again. Yes. Chris, oh, Chris, quick, Chris thinks before it's he over. Chris, or something. Chris, <laughs> Chris, <laughs> I don't know where he was yeah. going. Chris has gone to take the bins out or something. <laughs> um, but...
<laughs> but we are still, hey chris as surprised as surprised as any of you listening we are still going um so uh, i mean michael wants me to say it i'm gonna say and we're clear we are clear oh, um so if you're one of those adventurous types who always listens after our first goodbye, Chris Reeves is not one of those. Not Chris, no. <laughs> then you will know that this is the part of the show, Chris, that we like to call Wits End, named after the Highland hero that is Stephen Whitaker. For those new to these parts, then welcome. Okay. If the USB has come out of the laptop. That's <laughs> Chris has gone rogue. I love um, it. True yeah, Twitter style. Help yourself to chips and dips, plug your USB back in and give yourself a pat on the back as a brand new Twitter, a.k.a. an honorary member of Wits. And this is the part of the show where we go off the beaten track and take on any and every topic to do with Norwich City. And that includes your suggestions, which you can give to us via email at twitterkers at iCloud.com. Or you can use the hashtag Twitterkers, T-W-I-T-T-E-R-K-E-R-S on Twitterkers on twitter on twitter just don't Close explain enough. what it refers to um so i'm i'm gonna kick us off uh here and yes, i feel free to talk about anything we like but I, i'm sorry i'm gonna have another slight moan and it's about the and this probably would have been my 30 seconds but what's going on with the pre-match routine before the game like from when the players come out of the tunnel to and maybe i'm in the minority here but i do not think on the ball city should be being sung as the game kicks off i want it before the game is, is oh. anyone with me on that? Because it feels like it's happening now. As, oh, I don't want that. I want well, I want On The Ball City and then I want kickoff. The, the, the good thing about On The Ball City at the moment is it's being sung um, while they take the knee, which is attempting yeah, to drown true. out the snake pit who are currently <laughs> booing it. Not all so, and I, I mentioned this last week and I'm like, what I've, you know, you watch Elland Road, the Emirates, you know, mm. 60,000 people all perfectly capable of, cheering a sentiment where we don't want racism um apparently the snake pit does want racism so um yeah maybe i shouldn't get stuck into it but um yeah so you know while it sits there trying i mean it's not doing a very good job of masking it i suppose so your point stands steve maybe it should be yeah. before when would you have it then exactly i mean when would you would you want it the players the players because you've got to read the team out while they're on the pitch i know I and, only, and they don't where's all the time gone because they don't even read the subs out now either um uh, is no. it the green the green yellow army white stripes bit that they're now fitting in is that um you've also got good. to appreciate there's the premier league anthem yeah. which is oh, awful and also twice as long as it used to be it used to be a great great little tune i thought but the, the, you know the, the one now is a bit like and it goes on twice as long Speaking of tunes, though, the pre-match um, music has gone up to a whole yeah. new of one song and one song only, Zombie Nation. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going with the chain, but I'm taking, yeah, Zombie Nation. 100%. Oh, my God, 100%. I almost looked back at my melodica then, but I decided not to. But, um, I, but F1's a good point because we've we've got the chain, the players coming out to the chain, and then there was a whole Lotus video that had the current F1 music, which I love, by the way. It's much better than the Premier League anthem. That amazing. For an F1 fan, I was like, this is amazing. That I was well pumped. That's, that's his world, isn't it? Maybe he was involved. Are you in behind the chain, Sarah? I, I feel like that's a step up from whatever we previously had. Uh, I, I, I kind of missed all the music on Saturday. <laughs> still get, getting into the ground. You know, I, I thought what, what, what I heard was okay. Yeah, it was not too bad. But I didn't like On the Ball City when I heard it. I wanted it before they started playing. 
Thank oh. you. Oh, I do have a I do have a, a convert then. That's good. Okay. Um, I just wanted to bring something else up as well. We've we've already had uh, Dennis Sabeni on this podcast, and I thought an, another favourite of the Talk Norwich City boys, um, Onel, and the fact oh. that he scored. Uh, I'm enjoying. By the way, one thing I am enjoying is watching all our various legends because I think Stephen scored at the weekend as well. Did he? For... Yes, he did. Great did goal. He, is he back? Is he at Paderborn? Is he at Surrey's now? Yes. Right. Okay. But with Dennis, like, is he? With with Dennis, yeah, yeah. What a, what a partnership that has been rebuilt there. Um, but I liked Onel scoring what was basically a tap, and I think you alluded to this on um, social media as well, Michael, and then, <laughs> like whipping his shirt off <laughs> and whirling it around, which is what we would all do. And it kind of reminded me of that goal that he scored against Manchester United, which was a, like, I think in like the 89th minute, but he celebrated like he... 3-0 down, yeah, down at the time. Yeah, 3-0 down at the time. I mean, there was a lot of pride, I think, for him in that goal. Yeah. And he completely understood that. But uh, the, the Forest, the, the goal against Forest... It was almost his shirt was off so quickly. I almost think he had his shirt off whilst he was tapping it in. And all I saw, I didn't see the goal. All I saw was a notification, 72 minutes and El Hernandez scores, 73 minutes and El Hernandez booked. I was like, well, I know what's happened there. And, uh, you know, at least he kept hold of his shirt. But good on him. Good on Good old Anel. What a man. I just wanted to go on, Chris. I was just going to say we need more Anel Hernandez in yep. the game, right? You know, I think football, I think without sounding Sam Allardyce, I think football has become very sterile. Technology, VAR, the washes of money around, you know, multi-million pound players, um, everything pre-scripted, pre-planned, perfectly um, press-trained. Do you know what? Anel is a brilliant personality. And Michael's right. There was a lot of sentiment in that goal for him. And um uh he he was very 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 disappointed to have been um to have been pushed out on loan um he obviously wants to be playing football um but at the same time he was desperately disappointed so i'm i'm bloody chuffed for now that he got that goal if i'm allowed to swear too late now um i i think um I think he's fallen victim to actually a slice of bad luck. Coming, Chris, it'll be perfect timing. <laughs> I think he's just fallen victim to a slice of bad luck, to be honest with you. And, you know, you've highlighted it there, that goal against Manchester United. No one else was doing anything in the Premier League restart. At least he gave it everything he's got. And so, yeah, I'm so pleased to see Anel back playing consistent football, as he should be, causing defences problems in the championships. What, what, a lovely, what a lovely personality. That's what football's all about, isn't it? You, you yeah. don't remember. You don't remember the boring players. You remember the, you uh, <laughs> You remember the guy who loved Argos. <laughs> he always gives everything right, Chris. And I think I think even Daniel Farker said that, you know, when he was talking about the players that have gone, they've missed some big characters out of the changing room, right? And he was one of the ones they that he named. It's like a, a real personality in there who would have, can add in those words of encouragement or just like, you know, tell the young players that it is, it is okay. It is, after all, only football, but it is actually going to be okay. So get out there and in, enjoy yourself, right? And a decent, decent human being, Anel Hernandez. Yeah, a lot of time for the guy. I was, I was super pleased for him as well. And I thought about, you know, using my Anel Hernandez mug for my coffee the next morning was what. I <laughs> Love that. <laughs> what a decision that is. For the whole of lockdown, which was outrageous. He was on his own on my desk for like over a year, and then I had to go in and get him back. This is a good discussion point. Like, what, what after a game do we all have at home as fans where we're like? I'm now going to make a decision 
based on what just happened. You know, like I've got eight mm. mugs with different players on. You know what? That was great at the weekend. I'm now going to get out my Anel Hernandez mug. Uh, mm. I don't know what, what it, it, you know, I don't think I have an equivalent. But, you know, you might think, oh, I'm going to wear, you know, next time I play five-a-side, I'm going to wear my Marco Stiefman <laughs> shirt because he scored at the weekend. I well, don't know. There must be something. I'm not that impulsive, but I do feel like having dumplings tonight now. Dumplings, yeah. I love that. <laughs> if anyone knows, anyone has any of those at, uh, at home in their place, I'd quite like to know. Can I just yeah. read out... Um, Yes, Daniel Asante's yeah. message. Um, thanks for the message, Danny. Uh, Danny sent, sent me this. Because uh, I think last week, I don't think we did it in Wits End, but we did it in the main pod. We were doing uh, Norwich City star signs uh, in oh, honour of Mark Libra and his 19-second debut goal. Read about that on The Athletic. We had some great ones. I mean, I was still really happy with Gemini Goss. I thought that was actually a, oh. a high point. But um, uh, Danny came back with, uh, really sad, listening to the podcast, star sign players, Taurus Martin. Sorry. Taurus Martin. Taurus Martin. Yeah. Taurus Martin. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah, no. not, I mean, I can only think of... Did, was this on last week? Leo McKenzie. And I mean, that's Leo not... Leo McKenzie, that's right. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Where's Leo yeah. Julio Han was mine because I couldn't work out which one to use the Leo in. So I did both. I think I think what we've what we've decided is that it can't really be done. Um, if <gasps> no, <laughs> no, there's well, definitely others. They ain't great, are they? They ain't great. Unless someone can really pull it out of the bag. Um, so yeah, give us give us your star signs if there are any, which I I don't think there are, and your Norwich City impulses after the game. So yeah, hashtag Twitterkers, T W I W T E R K E R S. And also, I want to know best Norwich City celebrations as well. I'm just gonna put that out there. Um, if there's any. Onel against Man United is one that I will always remember. But um, I'm also thinking like Holty against Ipswich. Uh, like he didn't even score. Chris, what you're miming? Oh, something. the moustache. Well, that was the moustache, wasn't it? That was very famous. That celebration. Uh, that yeah. was at home. That was the that was the full one, wasn't it? Where he, he got tangled up in the wire and he went round like that. Do you remember? Oh yeah, um, yes, I do. I do. Yeah, Onel was good. Onel was good. I, I really, really, I really liked um, Tim Close where. The only way I could describe it is maybe a donkey that had just been <laughs> shot and caught and sort of like limped towards the corner flag and then he headbutted the corner flag. <laughs> and, really know what to do. and I love that. That's that's a that's a quality celebration when you just you lose all sense of control or perspective. You just go for it. I've got to say that is a better shout than I could possibly have imagined. I completely forgot about that. But that is such a good one. Um, well, if if no one else has got any other celebrations, um, I will open it up to Kenny other business. Um, anyone else for Kenny other business? Oh, no, I hadn't been thinking about it in advance, so I've let myself down here. This is my big moment to come up with some Kenny other business. Yeah, now you know how the rest of us feel when you ask. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what one, one, no. bit of, one, one bit of Kenny other business was, was, was Kenny after he shanked his clearance. Um, he obviously tried to get back and then he managed to slide into the goal with his head <laughs> in his hands. Yeah. And I, I haven't seen the point at which he realised that it had been disallowed for offside, but then also the point at which it was then re-allowed, because that must have been one hell of a 20 seconds for Paul <laughs> Kenny. Um, you know, and we also his web wobbling arms against Stoke last season with his uh, slightly misplaced back pass. So, um, yeah, I hope Kenny gets a chance to make up for that, because I think it'd, he'd been pretty distraught by that, and he's a lovely guy. So, um, yeah. yeah. By the way, Kenny, just on the note of Kenny, I thought Kenny, up, up until that moment, has been brilliant this season. I was mm. calling him to be the first name on the team sheet. Um, 
for me, I would much rather see Kenny McLean in there over, over Lucas Roop. I think he can do more on the ball and off the ball for the team. And um, yeah, I think it's a crying shame that he made he, he he made that mistake because I think he's been absolutely outstanding for us this season. Actually, I really really do. I think he's been actually a bit of a surprise package. If I'm honest. Oh, hello. Good evening. It's Michael's kid to win, not mine. <laughs> Archie, Archie, Archie's woken up. The first time this has happened in the pod. Do you know what? Okay. Go back to bed. I'll come and give you a cuddle. <laughs> Job done. Oh, I can hear lots of footsteps outside my door. I can see a line of them out there waiting in a few minutes. As, as brilliant as that was, that little cameo, it's probably a sign that we've talked for long enough. Um, guys, <laughs> thank you so much for giving up your evening. I really feel like you've given up your evenings for this. Um, uh, Michael, Chris, Sarah, absolutely brilliant. It's been a pleasure to host this one, and I couldn't ask for a better panel to do it with um so i think what do we now do we just say goodbye don't we if you all say goodbye at the same time are we actually going now yeah we are actually going yeah there is no more after this i promise there's, there's not a twitter goes after party i'm off to put on my norwich hat for like you know positive vibes that's what i'm gonna do <laughs> excellent right uh, three two one bye, bye. Do. everyone see you next week bye <laughs>